you guys. You're listening to Let It Out, hosted by me, Katie Delbout. What a week. I had a terrible week. We'll get into that another time, maybe. But it's okay. I learned a lot, which I'll talk about in Likes and Learns. You know, I leaned on friends, and here I am, recording the intro to this week's episode, which is a great episode. One of the very rare repeat guests. I have Kelsey Miller, who did my podcast as her first ever podcast appearance a million years ago, or about 2014, 2015. We talk about her anti-diet project, which was a column she wrote for Refinery29 for years, and it actually just ended this year. And I got to contribute to it and wrote about something called anorexia nostalgia, which is something that happened to me. And I wrote this essay and I worked with her on it. And we talk about that experience in this. So I'll link that in the show notes. And I'll also put a link to the anti-diet project as a whole and Kelsey's goodbye to the anti-diet project. So we do talk a bit about just that anti-dieting and intuitive eating and where she is with that now. But if you really want to hear about that, I suggest A, checking out my first podcast with her, B, reading her book, which I love, her memoir, her first book called Big Girl, which I also love, and C, we did a live podcast episode here in New York City several years ago before I actually moved here. It was a swap cast that we did with Christy Harrison, my friend who hosts the wonderful podcast Food Psych. And I think you guys would really like that episode. So the link to those will be in the show notes. Stick around to the end for likes and learns. But this week, Kelsey and I talk about friends. We talk about friendship and relationships and navigating being a writer and a freelancer. But the bulk of it is gushing about her amazing new book, which is called I'll Be There For You, The One About Friends. And it is such a delight. I finished it right after I recorded this episode with her and I loved every ounce of it. I started to find myself rationing it because I didn't want it to end. So if anyone has a recommendation for another retrospective that I would like, get at me. Let me know. Maybe in the listener Facebook group, which is thriving. I love talking to people in there and I want to do it more. So if you haven't joined, please join and subscribe to this podcast if you like it, share it with a friend. But right now, let's get to my conversation with Kelsey. Oh, one quick note. This is the season finale of the podcast. I won't be back with you for a while, for a couple weeks, but I don't know. I say that and who knows, I might pop in and and tell you how I'm feeling or something I'm learning or liking. So keep in touch with me on the internet. I'm at Katie Dalebout. And here's my conversation with Kelsey. Today's episode is brought to you by Altera Pure, which is a textile system designed to change the way you think about bedding. And let me tell you, 
They've honestly done that for me. They make these cool, crisp sheets that feel like I'm staying in a luxurious hotel every night when I crawl into my bed. They're made with 100% verified organic cotton, and they actually have a farm-to-fabric business model that assures environmental and social sustainability through their deliberate design, organic verification. They have fair trade partnerships with farm co-ops. And I've actually talked to the founder on the phone. They're the nicest people doing such great work and making such a great product and a luxurious product that really is accessible. And you know that the dollars you're spending on it are going to a sustainable company and every purchase directly benefits the farmers that grow the cotton for the sheets. I think that's really cool. Even in their packaging, they use upcycled scrap cotton and recycled paper. I just really honestly love these sheets and pillowcases and duvet covers so much. I think you should try them. Use the code LETITOUT at checkout and that will give you 15% off your order. Again, that's LETITOUT at checkout for 15% off your order. The link to Altera Pure is in the show notes. And here's the good news about this. If you've already bought your own sheets but you want to give them as a gift for the holidays, perhaps, I would love to receive these as a gift or if you have multiple beds in your house, I don't know, you can use that code as many times as you want. So again, it's let it out for 15% off your order. This week's podcast is brought to you by Cara Vitamins. Cara Vitamins are the supplement company that I've used and I've loved for many years. They're a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients that are personally tailored to your exact needs. How do they do that? Well, you go to their website, you take a quiz, it's really fun, it's quick, it asks you questions about your diet, your lifestyle, your health goals, and then from there, it curates for you the specific supplements that you need, and then they come to you in these pre-packaged, beautifully packaged little compartments that you can take with you on the go. They're great for traveling. You can toss them in your bag. I think these would make a great holiday gift for someone. You know, you just have them take the quiz and you could buy it for them, you know, or a holiday gift for yourself. Why not? 90% of people fall short of the FDA's recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. And if you take care of quiz, you'll discover which areas that you might be lacking, that you could use a little bit of supplementation, and then it will help you. I really, really love this brand and this product. And I've been using them, like I said, for a long time. They even have an app where you can earn rewards when you remember to take your vitamins. I love using the app. So for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and you enter the code Katie at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E, my name. Again, for 25% off your first month of care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter the code Katie at checkout. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you. And thanks for coming to my apartment. This is easy. I'm wearing my house shoes. Oh, (laughs) I'm so cozy and I love it here already. I love the book so, so, so much. I'm so happy that you wrote it. It was such a delight to read and spend time with you in that way. Thank you. And I actually have like 
a little bit left of the book. Like, mm. I don't know, maybe like two chapters. Oh, And I was reading it before I came over here today. And I was like sad to have to leave the book. I was like, I don't want to... I don't want to be done with it. I don't want to leave doing this right now. I but I'm going to <laughs> hang out with Kelsey and talk about this book. So I guess that's okay. No, that's totally okay. And then I bought the audio. I'm not even done. I bought oh. the audio book so I could keep listening on the train without oh. having to like sit down, which is lovely. Isn't it good? And I love that you read the I wrote so I read the first chapter twice because you read the introduction for the audiobook. Yeah. Which you did such a great job for, and I loved. It was so fun to hear your voice. But anyway, my point is that I love this book so much and I loved getting to spend time with you through the little pockets of you that I could so read and hear in the book that it, this is just going to be a delight to talk to you about it. More. Thank you. That's really lovely. I'm really glad. I mean, I'm curious, where exactly did you leave off in the book? Do you remember what was happening? <clears throat> this is some pretty big stuff in the last in the last two. Oh, gosh. Well, it's okay. Spo- spoiler keep the spoilers to a minimum so I can okay. get, well, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll eventually catch up. Sure. I'm going to, I've got my audiobook now so I can be around the city reading. I was like trying to speed read this weekend. Cause I knew I was doing this. We even mm-hmm. put this off a day, but oh, I'm yeah. excited for the now. And now I'm like even more, cause I got to go. Now no, I'm, I'm, like, cu- even I'm more curious to hear to what you home. think. I'll be curious to hear what you think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. Okay. You talk a little bit about your relationship with the show in the book. And I actually remember you talking about watching the later seasons of Friends when you were in college and how you would rush home in your last book, in your memoir, Big Girl, which I love. And we talked about on our last episode. But right here on the podcast, can you talk about what your relationship to the show Friends was? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Before I got the opportunity to write this book, I thought I was a Friends fan the way that, like, everybody kind of is. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's the case. Because I meet people who are, like, you know, diehards and stuff like that and really identify with the, yeah, the identity of a Friends fan. And I'm just like, well, I'm a person who was 10 years old when it started and in college when it ended. So it's really just baked into my DNA. And there's something that's utterly familiar about it, you know, for better or worse. You know what I mean? It was just such a huge, huge defining cultural moment that was happening at a really formative time in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I never really thought about my relationship to the show. I never really thought about the fact that like, yeah, of course I got that haircut like twice, but because because like so did literally every female I knew <laughs> over the age of like three yeah. for the time being. And then yeah, as I got older, I mean, it became this thing where I don't even think I really, I guess I watched it on purpose in the final seasons and stuff. I was in boarding school and college when it ended, but I definitely remember watching the series finale and that being like surprisingly emotional. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I I got excited and distracted and into other kind of shows because like this new era of television really blew up. And Friends became this thing that I watched in like motel rooms or like you know, late at night when I couldn't sleep or at the gym, as I write about in the book. It was like great gym watch because, you know, it's just, it's so perfect for that kind of thing in so many ways. And I didn't realize until I sat down to write that like it was having, it was like really fulfilling kind of a deep emotional need because it's about this time in your life when friendship really has primacy and this, yeah, this very specific era of life that I was at that point leaving. And so were many of my friends And so it wasn't just nostalgia for the show. It was like 
I think it was indirectly hitting this very, very tender point of nostalgia for his own period of, for this period of my own life. You know, yeah, that was that was maybe my my favorite part. The book is so well researched, and the entire thing is so great. But like I said, I read the beginning twice because you talk about your experience about how friends came became your companion at the gym at five thirty, and these reruns were nostalgic, not because of the sh- just because of the show, but because of the inconvenience of it and yeah. having that feeling of seeing an episode that you just saw and being like, oh man, I just saw that one. Something that you hadn't experienced in 10, 15 years. Seriously. And commercials. Commercials. You know what I yeah. mean? That feel that that feeling of watching actual television is so hard to come by Antiquated. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless like sometimes I've been in hotel rooms recently where I'm there on my own for like a work thing. And I'm really excited to turn on a TV because I haven't had a TV in years. And sometimes I can't even figure it out. Like I'm like, how, where's, which one is the button even? And when there's a menu and I don't even like, yeah, so I haven't even had that experience in so long. So I, I loved, I loved that. So is that the experience that led you to come up with the idea for the book? Did you pitch the idea for the book? Yeah. I mean, I, I had been working at Refinery29 when Friends had that weird little revival. And I I say it's weird because, you know, Friends never really went away. It was always on. Mm -hmm. But somewhere around 2014, 2015, it became like a cool thing again. And it became like, um, you know, a thing that was on T-shirts at Urban Outfitters all of a sudden. And like people were talking about the fact that they loved Friends. And then Netflix, of course, acquired it. And it was like everybody came out of the friend's closet all at once. And it was the only thing to be written about on the internet where I was working. So I was just, we were all just writing stories about friends all the time. And I remember there was a lot of, you know, that hot take thing about friends. Like we we were really into picking apart what was so problematic about the show. And also looking back and being like, can you believe these 90s fashions and blah, blah, blah. And like the haircut's so bad. Like that kind of stuff. Looking back at it from a 21st century perspective. And when I got the chance to write the book, I realized there really hadn't been one that chronicled kind of the history of the show, but also contextualized it in that way. And like, when I'm, if I'm writing a book, I can have those conversations in a far more nuanced, researched way because I had just the, the time and the space and I could just go on and on and on and dive deep. So that's what I really wanted to do was like weave in the story of the show, all that fun stuff that people enjoy while also bringing in, yeah, nuanced conversation about some of the more controversial stuff about it. And also, I think, talking about the other elements that maybe aren't controversial but are just interesting, like, why the hell did this show blow up in the first place? What were the sort of political and sociological conditions that caused the Friends phenomenon? That was what was so interesting in the beginning of the book when you go through each of the actors and each of the characters and the perfect storm and the, like, sea of serendipities that had to happen to even make this cast come together and the creators come together and the network come together to even make it happen was even though you know the ending like it was still riveting I know it's so wild because you know now it feels like friends is this like inevitable thing that Mm -hmm. it will never go away but it took like 10 different miracles for it to even come together one that almost wasn't yeah oh yeah that was a good title that I came up with yeah (laughs) so all of them are, are so good I remember being so excited when you first told me, I think maybe you told me at the wing that you were working on this or you had announced it. And I was so excited for this project, but I wasn't really surprised because I remembered that moment in your last book where you mentioned friends. And then 
I remembered an article you had written for Refinery about Fat Monica being problematic like years ago, which I think is how I found your work and I found the anti-diet wow. project. So for me, it was kind of like, that oh. was my my intro to you was through friends. Oh my gosh. And then now here you are, right? So it like, it just was like, yes, of course she's doing that. And, and I can't wait. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, I did, before the anti-diet project really took off, I think that was one of my primary beats really was pop culture. And yeah, getting to write about something like Fat Monica was just a joy. I'd really sunk my teeth into that because Fat Monica like means so many things to so many people. Yeah. You know let's, what I mean? Let's talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Let's talk about that. That Was that article kind of the impetus for you taking a, was that the first time you wrote about friends for Refinery? No, I think that, <laughs> I think I wrote all kinds of stuff, like little things about friends too. Like I remembered the fact that some of the episodes, you know, they have little bits of pieces of dialogue that have been cut out and has to do with like the television edit and stuff like oh, that. Like that depending on where you watch. Well, yeah, it's like depending on where you watch, the episode might be like one or two minutes shorter. And I wrote about like what happened to the missing lines. Oh, you know what cool. I mean? Yeah. And like Warner Brothers, well, not for my piece, but so many people were asking this Warner Brothers had to like issue a statement. Wow. Yeah. I mean, people notice. This is how you can tell how important Friends is to people is they're like, what happened to that, that four seconds? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was writing a bunch of stuff like that. But Fat Monica, I think there was part of me that really enjoyed her and like enjoyed her being a really embodied character and like being somebody who seemed to have a lot of fun. But at the same time, I mean, I was writing about that when I was just sort of going through my own discovery, I think of realizing that, like the tropes of fat characters and stuff. I mm -hmm. interviewed the women behind the documentary Fatitude yeah. for that piece. And yeah, it was like, there's like the monster and there's the joke and there's like the hypersexual mm -hmm. like being in these characters and stuff like that. And Monica, Fat Monica is definitely like, a joke for sure. And as I say in the book, she's not Monica if she were fat. She's like an entirely different character yeah. with an entirely different voice. Mm -hmm. She's like a cartoon, you know, but yeah, I read other things from other people who like, some people really found her inspirational, like, like young fat women and girls and stuff found her like, they were like, oh man, I can be silly and goofy and dance and stuff like that and not give a crap. But I think a lot of people... And I think that's kind of how I felt about her at one point and stuff. And then I felt like, uh, I wish I didn't have to like be a joke to, to dance around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or that, which is so fascinating how you talk about, like she's only in how many episodes and then, but referenced in throughout the show. Yeah. I think that Monica is in three, maybe four episodes yeah. total. And you know what? It's really weird because the first time we see the flashback to Monica, she she is like Monica if she were fat. She doesn't have a totally different voice. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have like cartoonish features. She just looks like a, like a larger version of actual Monica. And that's in the one with the prom video. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think as the series got went on, like me, obviously this happened with a lot of different characters and characteristics on the show. They got bigger and like, a little bit broader and Fat Monica was definitely a character who was referenced quite a bit off screen. And like, even in the off screen descriptions, it was really like intense. Like, there's one thing where <laughs> apparently Monica like ate the macaroni off her jewelry box as a kid or something like that. Or like she tried to eat oh, a squirrel yeah, at fat camp that. and got like, it was like, come on. Yeah. It was very much like the same kind of thing they were doing with um, Chandler's dad. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. they talked about that character so much off screen that when they had to actually cast it, I mean, yeah, yikes. Yeah. So 
you're going, you've been writing about friends for a couple years Mm -hmm. in little pockets, and then you have this opportunity to write this book. How do you feel about going down? Like you were saying, it was a cool opportunity to be able to go down this wormhole of friends content, but were you excited? Were you overwhelmed? How were you feeling when it, when you started the process? Did you have an outline? I did. I had an outline, had a very detailed outline that went out the window, you know, (laughs) as, as you know, from writing your book, did you stick to your outline? No, no, of course Totally different than the proposal. hundred percent. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. My book. (laughs) I mean, I always tell people who write books, it's like, you have to write the book proposal, just like with like commit to it, but with the understanding that like, it's going to go out the window. Don't think that it's going to be set in stone. Just, that's a good thing to put out there in the world writers. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a very detailed outline and I started working on it. And I was, of course, immediately just like paralyzed, almost being overwhelmed because it wasn't so much the enormous amount of research material out there, which there is quite a lot. It's like an iceberg. I knew I could like find my own path and like find my, find my own lens to look through. So that would be doable. It was more being very aware of what this show meant to people and Mm. becoming even more Mm -hmm. aware of what it meant to people. Whenever I would talk to people, and still, when I tell them I wrote this book, they look at me like, oh, they either look at me like, are you a crazy friends person? Or they look at me and they're, because they're like, I'm a crazy friends person and I don't want you to ruin my show. And I'm like, I don't think I'm, I really don't think I'm doing either. And I don't think you have to choose between those things. So that's kind of what we do to the show. Yeah. I mean, that's the sort of thing, like people either argue it's like perfect and untouchable or it's just like too problematic, Mm -hmm. you know? I can totally see that being, (laughs) I didn't have that experience with starting to read your book because I knew you and I'd read your other pieces on friends. So I knew I was in good hands that someone was going to come to it and tell me like the problematic things, but also not ruin it for me. And so I knew I was like in great hands, but I can see that that would be something of like, there's that, I think there's like that onion article. That's like feminist has to forget her beliefs to enjoy anything on pop culture. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a good one. Which is so, you know, I find that all the time and I'm sure you do too, of like, there's so much content from the nineties that I love that I see now in a totally new lens than I would have seen. Oh when I was God. younger and didn't know what I know now. Oh yeah, no, no. Every movie, every like a ro- like story of yeah. romance or something like that. I mean, it really makes you think about the messages that have been programmed into our yeah. brains. It's really hard to unlearn that stuff. I definitely think reexamining the show helped me do it a little bit. Yeah, which is good. It's going back to kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, which I think is interesting about how you didn't even realize how much the show impacted you. And I think what what your book does so wonderfully is it while you're reading it, you can't not think about your own relationship to friends, which mm. I, of course, did. And how much subconsciously even I think it was in my mind, like yes. of wanting to move to New York and just different little pockets, especially community, like wanting a certain community in my life. And in, in high school, I wanted my friend, I wanted a friend group to feel like friends in college. I wanted a friend group to feel like friends. Now I want that. And, you know, I have some really great friends, but I don't have six of them and I don't send I always want, and I would even articulate that to groups of friends and being like, I don't want it to be like, who am I hanging out with tonight? I want to be, what are we doing tonight? I always wanted that sense of a feeling. And that's what you say, even in the introduction, it's never quite that perfect. Yeah. Nothing is, that's the thing. That's sort of the vibe of friends is that it is relatable, but like everything is just 
you know, 50% at least better than real life. You know what I mean? It's like real life, but all the good parts and none of the bad and everything is just, is better. It's like, it's, I think the the phrase that I love that I did not come up with myself, but one of my interview subjects, Lauren Zelaznik described it as aspirational normalcy. Mm. I was like, oh, that's it. Yes. You know, because it's true. It's like it applies to the clothes because it's like they look like stuff you can get at the mall, even though you really can't. And like the haircut seems like, uh, you know, there was that message of like, this is it works for every face shape. And then we all got it and it was like, no, it doesn't. (laughs) This is a disaster. You know what I mean? And the friendship thing, too. Like, I think most of us have the experience of like having a moment or having like a period, like a certain period of time, maybe with one friend, maybe with two friends or something like that, where you have that sense of intimacy and closeness and inevitability. Like, what are we doing tonight? Not who yeah. am I hanging out with? Yep. Oh, but I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know anybody who has had that experience of like six for 10 years, you yeah. know, to really live in a little community like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like as humans, like that is so cozy to us, like to live, that's we're meant to live in tribes, you know, to get yeah. really like woo woo. But I, I think it's really true. And I think that's why that's, I think the element that was so aspirational beyond all the other things to me, at least was just that that sense of like, you can kind of have it in different pockets of your life. Like you said, Mm -hmm. you have your work friends or your school friends, but especially as an adult, you crave that. And unless you have, like, I'm an only child. So Mm -hmm. unless you have siblings or unless you have a romantic partner, there really isn't someone to kind of go through all the different life phases with you. And I think that's what was so alluring to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even if you do, this is saying this is somebody who's been married for a little bit over a year. I mean, it's true what they say. Like that person, there isn't like a single person in your life who can fulfill all your needs in that way. And like totally click with you emotionally and psychologically and, you know, on a practical level and stuff like that. It just, I think some people do maybe have that in certain relationships, but it's pretty miraculous if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I recently had Kayleen Schaefer who wrote that book, Text Me When You Get Home. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is so good. We talked about this exact thing and how like Esther Perel talks about that of like, it's actually unhealthy to have your romantic partner want to meet all those needs. And that's why there are six very unique characters in that show kind of filling different, different human needs, which is so interesting. Well, I love that you got to go down the wormhole and really like focus on one thing. Was that and you were also writing other content at the time, but what was the process of writing the book for you? I'm someone who loves to like go on a Wikipedia wormhole, but did oh, you yeah. indul- indulge in that? Oh or did my it God. Get stressful or tell me everything. Yeah. I mean, I-, I love that research stuff. Oh man. I love going on a, like a newspaper archive search. Oh, it's the best. Oh my God. Do you ever go on like the New York Times archives? No, but I'm going to after oh this. It sounds Do it. Like look at the ones from like a hundred years ago. It's wild. Cool. It's super wild. Anyway. So cool. Did you go to the library and do like that sort of research too? You know, I didn't, I kind of wish that I had, but like I was under a bit of a time crunch. How long TBH? did you have to? <laughs> I got the deal. I want to say early September, 2017. And I turned in the book at the end of May of 2018. Wow. Oh my God. And it's so well researched. And Thank so you. 
that is a miracle. Talk about friends. That's this is the book that almost wasn't. That oh, is like that's for damn sure. That's no. <laughs> so knowing having read the book and all the research in it, that's so surprising to me. I knew it. I knew it was quick, but yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I think the good the good thing is like I have a very good memory. Like my short term memory is terrible, but my long term is really solid. And as I said, Friends has been on in the background of my life for most of it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I revisited the show and I like watched it every single night for like a year, but I already knew it like Mm -hmm. the back of my hand. So that part at least I had. And I had been writing about it, you know, at Refinery for quite a while. That said, you know, there was an enormous amount of research to do. I got to like interviews. Interviews. Yeah. I love doing like talking to other people about friends, especially people who were, you know, of the the age of the characters at the mm-hmm. time when the show was on. Like I got to talk to Cl- Chuck Klosterman and just be like, which was like a dream. Cause I get, he's, you know, he's like the expert on everything in the nineties and like generally in pop culture for the last 25 years or yeah. something. And I got to be like, why did this happen? Chuck Klosterman. I, I, I feel like you're the one to answer the question, not me. Yeah. 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 So that was really fun. And like, I, so I didn't go to the library, but I, <laughs> I ordered a lot of books and I read about like generational theory Strauss and Howe, who came, you know, who identified like Generation X and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they came up with like the term millennials even and mm-hmm. stuff. So I got to read about their take on how cultural phenomena mm-hmm. happen from a generational perspective. I got to talk to people in the TV world like Lauren Zelaznik. I got to talk to like Lainey, Elaine Liu. Oh, cool. Yeah, which was awesome because she has just an encyclopedic knowledge of celebrity gossip media. And she could like tell she had her own sort of narrative of how friends blew up at this time when there it was a turning point in like tabloid journalism basically and stuff and they had an incredibly well honed symbiotic relationship with certain outlets and stuff and created these like really important press narratives that really helped the show yeah yeah you talk about those in the book that was <laughs> it what was another thing that was fascinating to me was how much I like peripherally knew, like, and I don't even know how I knew it, but just like, I'd never gone down the wormhole of friends. I, again, considered myself just a normal, your average friends fan, but there were just things that like, I knew about the blackout episode with Matt about you. And I knew like, just certain, I was like, how did I know that? Like, I, I have no, I, I was, I was in eighth grade when the final happened. So I didn't watch the first several seasons, obviously mm-hmm. when they're on, but I remember watching the finale with my mom in eighth grade and like it being a, being a big deal. But yeah, it was just fascinating. Like how these things were just in the culture, even like being a child when they mm-hmm. were happening. So was this something you could watch with your parents? Yeah. My, I remember the last couple seasons, mm-hmm. my mom watched them and I watched with her. And mm-hmm. then the other seasons I hadn't seen in order until I was much older. And then mm-hmm. in college, I, my boyfriend in college and I watched it in its entirety with like the DVDs we got from the library. The DVDs. Yeah. So good. Which was so good. And I looked forward to it and it was so cozy. And then when I got up to the ending, I like knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I knew all of that. But I, so I kind of watched it in like a weird order, mm-hmm. but I would catch the episodes here and there on TBS or like whenever they were airing. So I kind of had some knowledge, but then I think I just like listened to a lot of interviews about them because it was just like fascinating after that. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's funny though, you bring that up that a, a lot of people I spoke to actually had the same thing where the first episode they remember watching is the finale mm-hmm. and then they went back. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 
And that, yeah, because it was so like, what is the hype about this? You knew that it was yeah. a big deal at that time. Yeah. And so I knew I had to go back eventually. Yeah. Okay. We talked a little bit about this, but the introduction is called The Sweet Spot, which mm. was coined by culture critic Martha Bales and refers to the fleeting period of enormous freedom and encroaching responsibility where friends band together and families of their own making. And I love that so much. And you talk about how it's something that in most cultures, young people neither have the resources or the adult approval to live in this sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, it's nostalgia for it and then the idealization for it. So that is kind of why Friends transcends its flaws to be this beloved, cozy show that it is. And I, I loved how you wrote about that. So what was your sweet spot like? What was oh. your friend community like? Oh, man. Oh, it's so it is. I get wistful just thinking about it, but it's true. I mean, I definitely had it. And it's one of those things that you don't quite realize it's over until it's been over for mm -hmm. a little while. It's a funny thing. But yeah, there was this sort of magical period. I wrote about it quite a lot in, in, your book. in Big Girl, mm -hmm. actually, in my memoir, when like my three closest friends and I from high school lived within shouting distance of each other, um, not far from here, over in a certain little little corner of Williamsburg. And it was just like the best. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we did have that feeling of like, what are we doing tonight versus who am I hanging out with? Mm -hmm. And like, if, if somebody went away or like, if you were, if it wasn't assumed, like that was the exception was like not the exception to the rule was not hanging out or something like yeah, that or hanging yeah. out with other people. And it, whenever when you hung out with other people, like outside of that little nook, at least for me, it felt like, Oh, it's like exhausting. I was like, oh, yeah. I just want to hang with my people and stuff like yeah. that. Why do I need to make new friends? You know, I was very much that t-shirt, that no new friends t-shirt kind of vibe. Yeah. And it was really lovely. I mean, it was, it was really hard too. It was, you know, that period in, in somebody's life, even if they do have that sort of magical friend relationship, is generally pretty challenging. I mean, I was like just really super broke and I lived in like the worst apartments of my life and like had like, it was just like, when I think of that period, I think of like always being a little bit like cold and uncomfortable <laughs> and also like having bed bugs or being afraid of getting bed bugs again. And like, I don't even want to say that word bed bugs <laughs> in my new apartment where I've never had them. Just not knowing, n not knowing a whole, a whole lot, mm -hmm. but knowing at the very least that I had these people who had known me since I was 15 years old yeah. and, you know, they were like the net. You know, mm -hmm. the net that, that you could be, that I could, that I felt I could be caught by. And that's why the book is actually dedicated to, to them. Yeah. yeah. Did you talk with them through the process and what do they think of the, the book being out now? <laughs> I talked to them a bit throughout the process. And when I say that, I mean like, you know, just frantic texts, you know, that I responded to probably like four days late because I was so stressed out and working on this book, like mad and stuff. And like, we're all very busy grownups now with like very busy grown up lives and jobs and we don't all live in, you know, New York anymore, let alone in the mm -hmm. same, you know, little corner of, of the Brooklyn. So life is, is different now. And sometimes I still really definitely struggle with that feeling, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause it's, it, friendships are something you have to nurture. Yeah. And I sometimes find myself definitely reaching for that relationship that we had probably like 10 years ago now. And it's a different relationship now. So that's hard. I mean, it's a change, but mm -hmm. those are the three sort of people who have, will always be 
Yeah, your people. You know, my people. Yeah. 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 What's your greatest lesson on friendship in general? My goodness. I think that's probably that that one that I'm sort of trying to learn right now, which is like you have to roll with the phases of life. You have to let your friendships go through the phases of life with you. And sometimes it's going to be a little bit of a strain because we all tend to go through different parts of our lives, different times, like mm-hmm. pass through different milestones, perhaps at different times or have just different milestones in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it, it's probably in a certain way, it's easier to just let go of relationships, but man, it's really worth it to hang on. Yeah. I find that too. Like we can, we used to be able to relate a lot more and now we can't relate as much because our lives are so different, but it doesn't mean we're not aligned as friends or we're not still cozy people with each other, you know? Yeah. You know what? People say that to me all the time, including my own friends. And I'm like, how do I feel that? How do I believe that? (laughs) You know what I mean? But wait, I actually thought of a good and actual tip that people can oh, use. Um, <clears throat> I got this from another one of my friends, uh, Ellie Kiefer, with whom I used to work at Refinery. She called me on the phone one day mm. and I was at the farmer's market and I was like, what the hell is happening? Why is my work friend calling me on the phone? Is there an emergency? I was like, yeah, I was like, who died and why do I need to know about this right now? On a, You know what I mean? Yeah. It, was one, it was like so many thoughts at once. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then she was just like, no, no, I was just calling you to say hi if you were around or something like that. And I was like, oh, I remember like looking around like I was being pranked or something like that. But ever since then, I've been like, huh, I'm going to just, I'm just going to call people on the phone. And if they pick up, great. Yeah. And then we'll talk on the phone. And if not, then, you know, I'll talk to them later. Just like we kind of used to do for a long, long, long time. In the friends generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great talking on the phone. (laughs) It is. I love a good talk and walk too. Yes. You in that flow state. Yeah. 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 There was something too, like a walking meet. Like my my best friend doesn't live in New York and my boyfriend doesn't live in New York. And it's nice to there it's one thing to like put do a phone call when you're like trying to do a million things. It never goes well. But if I'm like walking, I can feel like I can actually like have a conversation like we're having right now and be present with someone. Yeah. But also be like in motion. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. Even if I'm, yeah. You know, I don't mind if somebody's doing the dishes while I'm on the phone with them. Absolutely. I get that. It's different even than Skype. I don't know. I feel like I'm being performative in a way when I'm on a video call. And it's like, it's great. It's also great to do when you're talking to somebody you don't get to see very often. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm really trying to do the phone thing. There's yeah. something pretty great about it. I like that. And that seems a, v- a very Friends-esque thing to mention right now. You're absolutely right. I have to keep that in my back pocket. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me that yeah, question. Yeah, that's good. We're warming you up for the podcast circuit. Yeah. Okay. So like I've been saying a million times, like a broken record, it's so thoughtful and researched. When gathering all of that information, what surprised you most about everything you learned about the show and how it came together and how it's been received all these years later. It's funny. I've gotten that question a lot too. And, and it's, it, there is so much that I, I've got to come up with a good nugget answer for this. <laughs> I mean, take your time. There are some little things like that, that surprised me, but that I've other people like diehard super fans knew like the fact that Ursula predates Phoebe. Mm. I didn't know that. Like that she was on, mad about you. I weirdly yeah. knew that. There are some yeah, weird see? facts that like I Well, it's I because knew. I know. Well, it's because like Friends has been off the air for a very long time and yet it it's written about every single day. So yeah. people like 
trivia. Like oh I, I found myself at a lot of French trivia nights, weirdly. Yeah. And, it's such a thing, the trivia thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I would love to be on your team. <laughs> I'm well, I'm hosting it at oh, the way. I mean, this isn't good really? for this podcast on oh, tomorrow. Yeah. I'm gonna be in LA. Oh bummer. But that is bummer. But I, I, would, I mean I'd love that. to do it again. I saw that and I was like, I I would have been there in a heartbeat. I have to do I have to do something with all this like extra knowledge I've yeah. acquired. And I think that's kind of the only thing I can do is just host friends trivia for the rest of my or life. Maybe you should have a game show. Like that's just Ooh, friends trivia. Yeah. Or a special. Maybe that's not a full yeah. season, but I'm in. That's a good one. Okay, what else did I learn that was interesting? I mean, I I thought it was kind of crazy that Jennifer Aniston like really did actually come close to having to be replaced because yeah, she was on another sitcom. That was riveting. That's I remember reading like watching interviews with her where she talked about you know she was for those who don't know she book, you know hear the whole yeah, story you'll learn all about it. it's very dramatic but she was on another. Uh, she was committed to another pilot in first position, um, which basically just means like she signed on to that first. So they had first dibs and it was a show called muddling through. And I think friends was like this big hot show that everybody thought was going to be a hit. And the other show was on CBS and, you know, according to sources, this was, you know, something that CBS did to try and throw a wrench into the works for friends, which is that like, they knew that muddling through wasn't going to like become a full-blown hit, but they ordered three episodes of it anyway to try and just like mess up friends. Mm -hmm. And so for a while, Jennifer Aniston was driving back and forth and she was just like begging to be let out of her contract at muddling through just so she could do friends. And they were like, no, no, no. And they just really strung, strung them along for as long as they possibly could. She was driving back and forth and they were shooting like the friends cast photos and, and they had to like ask yeah, her to step out or like stand on the end. You know what I, I mean? I can't imagine like being in her position. And, and I think Joey kind of felt like that too, of like oh, maybe yeah. getting like that, being in this family real and fake and then thinking you're going to get replaced. That would be so difficult. Yeah. I think probably a lot of them had that sense of like, this could go away at any moment or I could be cut at any moment because it was, it was a big ensemble cast and they'd all gone through, you know, failures before as most actors mm -hmm. have in television. I was talking to David Wilde who first, who did the first big profile mm -hmm. on them for yeah, Rolling, Stone. Rolling Stone. And he was like, yeah, no, it wasn't like being on any other set. It wasn't like being on like the set of 90210 or something like that. These were people who like, had been burned before mm -hmm. and were very aware that like they had something good and they didn't want to lose it. Yeah. That's really cool. And you can see you, I think you could sense that humble feeling that they all had, which is probably why it was such a success or part of it. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it was really that all for one, one for all attitude that got cemented very early on yeah. that brought them through because without that, you know, it would have been so easy to just turn mm -hmm. one person against one other person yeah. or make somebody feel insecure. And then that would have been the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you say this in the book, but it was so crucial that a show about this, when they went on the Oprah episode and how they actually were friends, it would have been mm -hmm. so challenging to have this show be successful if, if they weren't actually. It's, it's totally true. It's funny because, you know, that's become one of the big sort of stories that we love to tell about friends that mm -hmm. they're friends in real life. Isn't it cute? And like, yeah, it's like, there's a, it's, it's a sweet story, but it's also like, it was a necessity. Crucial, yeah. It was totally crucial for them to like really foster those relationships yeah. and be able to be super, super comfortable with one another yeah. and become like, they kind of, I think, you know, forced the closeness in the beginning because they knew how important it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so fascinating how they get in the jet and they go to Las Vegas. Yeah, I love that story. Fountain, and I'm just like sprinkling these in so people 
get the book and read the book, but <laughs> it was all, yeah, it was all, all of that was so new. You go into like, even though I guess I had this, like I had listened to a lot of interviews, so I did know more than I even thought I did, yeah. but there were so many interesting nuggets, like shooting the fountain intro yeah. and just them all meeting that just, I had no idea about that's just really fun to know. Like it's really it a great, it's a delight. It's, it feels like I get the same hit of dopamine that I get from watching the show from reading your book. Wow, that's really wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. It was fun to write about that stuff. I mean, to actually dive into the research of something like the Friends opening sequence, which we all know so well. Yeah, I can and, just like see Rachel oh, throwing something. <laughs> yeah, and to think about them shooting that at like four in the morning and yeah. it's like them being like, the young actors who are being asked to step into the fountain, even though that like wasn't the plan. And they're like, oh, we can't really say no, we're not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we think of them as like the friends, Stars. Jennifer Aniston and mm-hmm. everything like that. And back then it was just like, yeah, okay, I guess we'll we'll get in the fountain. Yeah, we'll stand in the fountain. Are we done? No, we're not? Okay, no, it's fine. It's fine. You know yeah. what I mean? And then Matthew Perry making a joke. Yes. And- Matthew Perry was definitely, yeah, yeah, he did that. And I think, well, I think when you get to the, the last chapter, you, you might enjoy that. Oh, There's a little okay. bit of a mirror there. Oh, oh, good. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very close. I feel like, yeah, it just, it's, it's not even just those parts too, like about knowing how it came together, but also you do, I do want to acknowledge that you do dive into some of these bigger cultural issues, like that they had the first lesbian wedding and what that meant for culture and so many other things. And Oprah, being the first to state the obvious that maybe they should get a black friend or yeah. And you talk about all of these issues too. And we mentioned fat Monica. Was there anything kind of in a more critical sense or culturally critical sense that surprised you or that was kind of something you really wanted to make sure was covered in the book? I definitely wanted to cover the diversity issues for sure. Mm -hmm. All the representational issues, the trans representation, the treatment of queer characters generally. I mean, I think the lesbian wedding episode is particularly emblematic because it is something where they were, they were actually pushing an envelope there. And yet at the same time, you can feel a lot of the fear. It's Mm -hmm. very, I think it, it really symbolizes the don't ask, don't tell era in a way where it's like, you know, one step forward, a couple, you know, hesitant tiptoes back kind of thing. But so, yeah, I wanted to cover that. And I I wanted to obviously cover Chandler's dad. And I wanted to talk about like the weird, you know, gender dynamics for sure. I mean, all that stuff. It was really important to me to touch on all that stuff in a deeper way. None of that was a surprise. The only thing that I think truly surprised me was something that happened off screen, which is something that I talk about in the last chapter, but it's something I actually had a story, a separate story come out about mm. yesterday, which is the Friends harassment lawsuit. Mm. Yeah. I have gotten there. Yeah. I mean, that was a really big uh, precedent-setting case where a writer's assistant who was like the only black woman in the on the, on the team at the time was fired after four months and, and sued uh, three of the writers for racial and sexual harassment. Wow. And um, it became... It became a huge, huge deal. Then the court found in the California Supreme Court found in their favor, basically, and it really had a huge impact on um, harassment litigation and anti-harassment law. And it's probably whether you know it or not, it's affected your life. It was certainly in like my HR training. I wow. didn't, even, but I, you know, it was like yeah. I had a vague recollection of that when I stumbled across the story in my research. But yeah, it's like had a huge impact mm-hmm. on our lives, and yet it's been almost totally buried. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. It's, yeah, like like we keep saying, we have no idea even how 
subconsciously these this show has affected us and then in these sorts of ways mm-hmm. wow okay so with all of this this friends work essentially you know you're writing a book it's your work every day and you said you were watching episodes mm-hmm. at night while you were watching it the question i just kept thinking about while i was reading and could not wait to ask you was like did friends ever start to feel like work for you like can you oh. watch the show now <laughs> and like can it still be that cozy tree or do you have a different relationship with it now? Oh boy. Yeah. I have a very deep and complicated relationship with the show now for sure. If only because, you know, the longer and the more close you get to somebody or something, the more complex things get. No, it's really funny because I thought, you know, I watched it constantly, as I said, while I was writing the book and it it was work right away. As soon as I had to write a book, it became work and that's just how it was. And I remembered you know, this has happened to me before where I wrote about things and I was like, oh, this is not fun anymore. Like mm-hmm. I recapped the Americans, which like I'm obsessed with and stuff like that. But writing about the, I, I and that's why I decided to recap them for Refinery. <laughs> but I was like, oh man, this is such homework now. But that's still a great show, but that's neither here or there. Anyway, <laughs> I thought that it was going to be a long time before I could look at Friends again. And, again. and then I think I was in like a doctor or a dentist waiting room not all that long ago. And it was just on, and I was watching it, and I was like, oh, my God. It just, yeah, I think that part of my brain, (laughs) that, yeah, it wasn't work anymore, and there was part of my brain that just, like, switches, that switches on Mm. when I see friends, and I'm in, like, okay, well, I'm in the chill zone now, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's still there, oddly enough. I'm not going to put it on Netflix on purpose anytime soon. Yeah. But I think the next time I'm in a hotel room or a waiting room, I'm, yeah, I, I have no problem. Watching yeah. it. Oh, good. Okay, good. That was that. That was my only concern while I've been reading the book. No, I'm going to be okay. Don't worry. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> great. Well, let's talk about you specifically as a writer. And you have been a writer for years. You've written two amazing books that Thank are you. very important to me and I already <laughs> and I love. And a, a journalist. What habits or routines do you Ooh. have as a writer, especially now being a freelancer fully? What does kind of your process look like? It's really, for, for me, the most important thing, I think, is like starting as early as I can in the day. When we get to this time of day right now where it's like late afternoon, I, I kind of, something in my brain starts to loosen up a little bit and I, yeah. I need to go out and see people perhaps or go to the gym or just like take a break. So it's about starting as early as possible. Definitely, it's about having that designated workspace when I started working from home, I was, I realized like, oh man, I miss office chairs. And like, I was looking online for them. I was like, God damn, they're expensive. I was looking at yours. I was like, I need a better office chair. Uh, yeah. Because I, I was using like something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I was sitting in these two and I was like, not doing okay physically. Like my back, my neck, everything was like messed up. I got like a repetitive stress elbow injury. It was like a disaster. Oh, I remember you had, you had a little brace. Yeah. I'm still wearing the brace. I'm still in physical therapy. Everyone just, just like take care of your joints. Writing Um, injury. It really is. It's such, it's so embarrassing. Anyway, I, I bit the bullet and I bought that office chair, which is, what is it? it's like a Herman Miller chair or something like that. It looks like very that. comfortable. It's very nice. It's the most expensive like item I have ever purchased in my <laughs> life, but it's a hundred percent worth yeah, it because I sit your, on my ass for a yeah, living, you yeah, know? Exactly. And I got an adjustable desk. I swapped Amazing. my like cute one from Target for like an even cheaper one from 
like a Wayfair that's adjustable and stuff. So I can make sure that my elbows are at the right Amazing. angle. So um, needed. So needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's about establishing routines for yourself, mm-hmm. for me at least. Yeah. So what does your morning look like? Do you write right away? No, I get up and I have breakfast usually with my husband who's on a very different schedule than I am. He works at the news, so he doesn't get to work until 11. So we kind of get up whenever I want to get up. And then we have breakfast and then I get into my office as soon as I can. I don't drink coffee like at breakfast. I like bring it with me and like sip it over the Mm -hmm. morning kind of thing. Yeah. And then I just like go and go and go. And like I make a lot of to-do lists all the time. I'm a big fan of to-do lists. Still looking for the planner that's going to change my life. Aren't we all? Oh, <laughs> the friend group and the planner. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm in a lot of, yeah, I'm, that's, that may be my next big story is like find is like the planner story. I love the revival, by the way, of like planners. They're, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love like, I read every single article yeah. that's like uh, the different kinds the of planners. The bullet journals, the productivity uh, yeah. planner. Yeah. yeah. I, I, maybe I'm someone to speak to because I've done a lot no, of planner research. I would love to get your take. I just gave up on the panda planner. So <laughs> I'm back to like just making lists on legal pads. And then I like just do what I got to do. And usually if I'm having like a really long, intense writing day, then I have to like have a day of like slightly less intense writing where I'm doing other sort of tasks. Mm -hmm. Because when you're a freelancer like me, you're also, you know, you're the boss and the employee. So you got to do all that sort of admin stuff, admin stuff and like chasing down your money and things like that. Yeah. That makes sense. You're also a great editor too. Oh, thanks. And what advice would you have for writers or people who want to freelance or write or write books yeah started or even like more established to you know take things to the next level what would you tell people you know you never get to a point where you feel like you're established or that you really know what you're doing at least I haven't yet I just you know I have my second book coming out and the idea of writing a third one is just as daunting really I mean you get a little comfortable in that you know what you're getting into to a degree, but it's always a little bit different. And it always seems totally crazy mm-hmm. when you're like, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know what I mean? Like you're in the middle of like an afternoon and you've only gotten a paragraph done and you're like, why am I, why am I doing this stupid job? Like, just so you know, if you're ever at that point as a writer, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be one. Mm-hmm. That means that you are one. I think. Mm. <laughs> well said, like a good writer. <laughs> but don't you think that's, I mean, you're a writer too and you've written the book and stuff like that. Like, Yeah, I feel like when, like a good, you're like a, you've been a great mentor to me through writing, oh. whether you've, you've edited one thing for me, but I just, you've given me a lot of great advice over oh, email. Thanks. Yeah. And I feel like there's been a lot of moments where I'm just like, I have a lot to learn and grow. And mm. you actually were the first one to tell me this. You were like, find a really good writing coach. And yeah. someone who can mentor you and help you. And that's something that like in the past I didn't have time to yep. do and devote the time to the craft because I was working full time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not. I'm freelancing fully. And so it's mm-hmm. something that's like with anything else, like you, if you were a woodworker, if you were an actor, like developing that craft and focusing on one thing and having someone who is neutral giving you insight, I think is, yeah. is something that you – you taught me that that would be important. And and now I finally like, I understand, but there are so many moments where you just feel like crawling under the table and you're like, I can't do this. Yeah. You know? And I want to say also like that advice, which I forgot that I gave you is good, is good advice that I still have to remind myself to take all the time yeah. because you're always going to need practice on something. And like, for example, you were saying, 
when I was writing the book, I was writing other stuff. You know, I I wasn't for kind of a long mm-hmm. time because I I had to just focus, focus on this for, for a while. And it was like, it was pretty scary. But then I came out the other side of it and I was like, oh, I forgot how to pitch a story. I forgot. I just like, I'm so rusty. And I had to really brush up on that. And that meant reaching out to like other writers and like pulling out the resources and yeah. like learning, learning how to how to do it again. Yeah. Stuff that becomes so automatic becomes something that you have to, it's like a muscle. Like it gets weak if you don't use it. It totally is a muscle. Yeah. And just like a muscle, you have to like rest and everything. And that's another thing that I'm not very good at, but it's really crucial. So now you're like in full promotion of, of this project. Yeah. And, but you're also writing for refinery and contributing and do you, I know this is like a question that you probably hate to get, but do you know, have any ideas where you want to, to focus next? Yeah, I definitely, I tend to overstuff my fire full of irons. Um, I tend to do that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, I think that my comfort zone, unfortunately is like very stressed out as like, just like being, uh, being a little bit overwhelmed at all the time is like, that's where I live. Oh my, I've never felt more articulated and less uh, yeah. alone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. But and like, also I'm sorry. No, it's no, like no. Not same, fun. same. But like, but like I feel like <laughs> yeah. I, I do feel like, oh, okay. I, I'm definitely not alone there. Especially like when I'm at a place like the wing, I'm like, oh yeah, no, we're all yeah, like, ever. we're all kind of a little bit, too, a little bit too I busy. I got a call. I got a, a little bit too. Yeah. I know. I feel like I'm always answering emails being like, so sorry, I'm late. Yeah. Things are slightly more hectic than usual. And then I realize I'm saying, I'm writing that slightly more hectic than usual phrase, like pretty usually. <laughs> it's a pretty usual thing. Anyway, I do <laughs> other stuff. I was working on a novel before I started oh, this wow. book and I've got to like maybe get back into that. I also have another nonfiction idea that I'm, I'm working on right cool. now that like is actually, I, I feel like it might be a thing that's happening soon. So I probably shouldn't talk about it. Cool. Just a we'll probably be talking about that in a yeah. couple of years. Yeah, maybe. In the maybe, same spot. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very excited for for what's next. Cool. Me too. Whatever it is, it's going to be great. And okay, speaking of the future, can we go to the past a little bit? I, sure. I have to bring up your wonderful column, The Anti-Diet Project, which Thank you. personally helped me so much, made me feel less alone. And I even got to contribute to it. And Brought that was us so together. great. That was so much fun. Thank you. I hope that that was good. I, I'm glad that you think I was a good editor because I always feel like, you know what I mean? Like it's so hard to be edited. Oh my you know gosh. I mean? That was the, that was the best experience, Kelsey. And I don't think I even got to like fully talk to you about that, but I was really, really young when I wrote that it was a couple of years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't written about that experience at all, really. in like any public way. And we worked on that for maybe a, a while. Like a you while, didn't yeah. give up on me and you were like, helped me to tell the story. And we took at least a month with the article and you would give yeah. me edits and I would follow up. And I was really proud of the the piece that we put out together. It really felt like a collaboration. So I, I'm I glad you that. feel that way. I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that because I did. I really wanted that story on the column. And I, I, I was really, I liked, I liked working with you, even though I knew like, okay, I should be telling her to just like get a, you know, another writing, yeah. you know, mentor or something like yeah. that, that I didn't, I couldn't be all the yeah. things in that and moment. I didn't understand that then. Like I didn't understand that. I and I was really so, either, you know, grateful that you took the time with me and made it happen and allowed it to, you know, you were really patient with me essentially. Oh, and thanks. I knew that, I knew that that was, 
something that you, you know, slightly more hectic than usual then too. And you still took the time for me and believed in me. And that was, that was like a watershed moment of like, okay, maybe I can, maybe I'm not where I need to be, but maybe I could develop this skill because somebody gave me a shot, you know? God, wow. That's so great. And then I'm just, then I just realized that, yeah, then you had a book come out like two seconds later. You had a whole book come out. Yeah. You had a whole dang book. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was cool. And I feel like that, that article for sure was something that was really important for me to kind of share my story in a way that I hadn't, people saw that article that I went to high school with or that I like hadn't seen forever and had an opinion about this thing that I went through that they, you know, kind of had no idea. And Mm -hmm. that, that was a really cool thing that the anti-diet project did for, I think a lot of us. And wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. and And I brought it up because I want, you wrote a wonderful, wonderful piece about ending it, which I'll definitely link to, but I was wondering if you could talk about that decision and the experience of, of ending that kind of chapter of your life and kind of where sure. you are with all that now. I mean, it was hard for so many reasons, not the least of which is the fact that like these, the things that I was writing about in the column are still, you know, a part of my life and they still also really matter. And it's not like they've all been solved in the world, you know, yeah. that body stuff is like, is still very relevant still, yeah. um, which is why I still write about it in other forms. I just don't write it in the column anymore. At the same, so I would not have, I probably would not have ever stopped writing the column. It would have taken like some catastrophe to to get me to stop. But then, you know, I had this book deal. And at the same time, one of my editors at the time at Refinery was like, okay, so you're really busy and we're going through a transition too. And like, what, she didn't even, she didn't say we're ending it. She said, what do you think? Do you think it might be time to bring the anti-diet project to a close? And I just, I think I really needed somebody to ask me that question because there was no way I was going to bring it up myself, even though I think it was very much time. So I, I, I think it, yeah, the last one ran in January of this year and it was that too. Writing that last one was a wonderful opportunity for me because it allowed me to reflect back on the things that had changed. And as I said, you know, these things are still like part of my life yeah. and that's just, that's just life, you know, yeah. it made me you know, really acknowledge to myself and to to the readers that like they are not the front and center part of my life anymore. They are not the thing around which so much of my life revolves. And that's a really good thing. That was kind of the point. Yeah. That yeah. was the that was that was kind of the point. You're, yeah. yeah, that's that was the entire point was to be like, yeah, let's let me live a life that is not entirely dictated by my feelings about my body or my food yeah. or my exercise routine. And that did really happen. I have a whole big life now. So that was, oof, was so bittersweet. Mm, yeah, yeah, I felt that too. Yeah. You said this thing. I don't know. You've actually, I've just realized this right now. You've actually done my podcast twice because we did yeah. that live episode. Oh, so much fun. Which is so fun. I would love to, Christy and I have to, we've been talking about it. She's in like mid her book process yeah. right now. Yeah. But we've been wanting to do another oh my God, I'd be so podcast thrilled. together. But you said something there, and I don't know if you even remember saying this, but mm-hmm. I think about it all the time where you talk about how, I think I asked a question kind of similar to this about making this intuitive, which is something that not necessarily specifically to intuitive eating, but mm-hmm. just in the sense of not having to think about yeah, food like instinctive. and body. Instinctive. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you were saying that you still, this was two years ago now over, or four years ago now. Oh, wow. Um, or wait, 2016. No, two, two years two, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two years ago. 
Yeah, math is not. No, no, no. Time. Time is hard. Time is hard. Anyway, (laughs) two years ago. But you were saying how you were still kind of in a place where you still had to have one side of your brain instruct the other side of your brain in certain moments of, or maybe you were saying that to how you were, you know, a few years before that. But no, I mean, that sounds about right. I really related to that where I, and when I see that now, when I see me like doing the thing that you talk about in your first book about being at brunch and going mm-hmm. through the whole formula that mm-hmm. like, I still, my instinct is to do that. Like my instinct is to diet and I still have to stop myself and be like, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. Remember? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And but it's so funny. It is funny. But I always, you know, this is what I have to remind mm-hmm. myself of now is like, of course you still do it because- yeah. Think about all the time that you were doing it and, and and how the rest of the world still operates and still sends you the message that you should be doing yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really hard to unlearn that stuff and to replace it with a new instinct. Oh my God, that takes that takes a lot of time. Yeah. I think for me the big thing was probably letting go of the goal of being totally, totally like magically mm. intuitive and knowing yeah. that I would have to probably, you know remind myself and brush up a little bit. And I do, I mean, I still have the book Intuitive Eating that I still know exactly where it is right there on my bookshelf. The same yeah, shelf is yours. I see body <laughs> kindness too. Yep. Yep. And like having to pick that up and, and be like, oh, right. What was the thing about, you know, body respect again or something like that? Especially during certain stressful points of life, like before I got married, oh my God, like th- that's just part of it. And not beating myself up for, for, you know, having to go back to the book every now and then and like consciously remind myself made everything so much easier. It made life so much easier. I'm so glad you said that. I'm glad I brought this up and because I wanted to ask about that and where you were with this now. And I guess it was just, I almost felt bad asking that because I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, Kelsey's great with it. She's like, why even ask about that? That's (laughs) insulting. But it's really helpful to hear that, that you still have the book and you still go back to and you still think about these things. And I think especially, you know, now that you're not writing the anti-diet project column anymore, I think I'm glad that, that we, that I did bring it up in this way too. Me too. I mean, it's good to remind myself of that stuff because, yeah, I mean, we can get distracted by the day-to-day stuff of our life and it's easy to let that those sort of negative, you know, unhelpful thought patterns creep in and take over, yeah. you know, if you don't sort of reset the record. I'm mixing my metaphors all over the place. No, I'm, I'm following <laughs> you. And like you said, the message, the alternative message is coming at us all day long all day of long. do something else, diet, diet, diet. And then something too that in the last two years since you've been on the, or three years since you've done the podcast, it's grown even more exponentially. And I think the name of my podcast even was Wellness Wonderland back then. So with that, you know, the wellness movement, like how do you feel? Mm. We talked about that a little bit in our live episode, but I love kind of your updated thoughts on that. (laughs) Oh man. It, it sucks. It just sucks. All of it sucks. The whole thing, like with Weight Watchers, that rebrand. Yeah, hijacking the message. Uh, but like, I mean, obviously we've talked about this before. The term the term wellness is like, it's been made even murkier than it was before. Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody like Weight Watchers coming along and saying like, that's our thing now. It makes it just like, it, it, dilutes, it dilutes an already diluted term. And it's not creating clarity and it's not creating health. It's just creating more confusion. And it's just like sort of confusing you enough so that you can just like be like, okay, I'll do Weight Watchers forever. You know what I mean? 
you know, because that's that's the whole point. Yeah, I think it's a real bummer. I, I wish that that people would maybe take a closer look at, at some of even just the language. Like I said, whether it's wellness or a term like processed foods and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Everybody has a different sort of definition of what that means, but we all know it's supposed to be bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I think just being aware, having some awareness and some specificity around the way we talk about food and our bodies and each other and all of that would be great. But mm-hmm. unfortunately I think, yeah, we're still in a bit of a mire there. And what's really hard is that, you know, obviously we all knew that body positivity as a mainstream trend because it was turned in like, you know, co-opted into a mainstream trend was going to pass. And I think, you know, it's definitely not as popular a topic as it was, for example, when I started the anti-diet project. And that, uh, you know, I think that just makes it easier for the next sort of damaging trend to come in and, and take over. I always want to cry. <laughs> wow. I really rained on this parade, didn't I? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm so glad we're talking about it. And I think too, it's dividing. Like, I think it's divisive of like, you're either in the camp of intuitive eating and you'd eat all the things or your wellness. And there's no like yeah. in between. And I, that's the last thing we need right now. No, I know. And to me, it's like, I feel like this is, this is, I mean, it is how I am well. True wellness. In, true wellness. True is wellness this. Yeah. is this. Yeah. yeah. It has very little to do with activated charcoal. Yeah. Exactly. Which I love to use for my skin and stuff yeah, like and that. Yeah, and it's great when you uh, have a food poisoning. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's uh, so great. It's great for poisoning. It's great for your skincare. It's definitely not going to, you yeah. know, save your soul. Totally. <laughs> All the things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a let's take a hard right to great. something really actually so positive and exciting that I want to talk to you about. You, since the last episode, got married, like you mentioned. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. What is your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Big Gosh, question. big question. What's or my any, greatest? You know, any tips or any communication tips that you've learned over the years or just anything about relationships? Definitely. I mean, that's, you sort of already said it. It's really, as everybody says, it sounds so boring, but it's communication. You know what I mean? And not, it's actually, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about like consciously addressing your thoughts and not letting you yourself go on autopilot. Cause mm-hmm. if you do the sort of negativity will creep in. I think the same is very true for relationships. It's so easy, especially when you've been together for a while to just become complacent and to be like, I still have times when I come home and I've like excitedly told my friend something that happened or like some big news of the day. And then my husband gets home and I'm like, I'm, I'm too tired to tell you this story now. Can I tell you tomorrow? Like yeah. a thing happened, but I got, I, I just need to go to bed. <laughs> it's a little bit scary. Cause I'm like, we don't even have children at this point. And like, if we're, if, and when we do, how hard will that be? You know what I mean? Yeah. That feeling of like, wow. I'm so glad you said that was like a watershed moment for me because I- Do you feel that way too? Yeah. It just happened last night with my boyfriend where I thought I had told him something, but I had Mm -hmm. told my best friend instead. Yeah. And I didn't even like want to get into it. It's like, yeah, just can you just know this? And I felt like I was (laughs) such a- like, I felt like I was horrible and bad, but that just made me feel less alone. Of oh like, my God. Now you've made me feel better. Thank yeah. you. That's so good. Yeah. No, I think, I think that I have a sense that that is normal. It also, it feels totally crazy mm-hmm. when I'm standing there in the kitchen and it's not even that late. And I'm like, I will, I'll just tell him tomorrow. But it will, when you're explaining, you bringing up all those feelings. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it is. It's so, it takes effort. 
But unfortunately, I think the key is to put that that effort in. And therapy can be a real help for that. We did a fair amount of that. And yeah. I think if only, you know, if you're not somebody who's super into therapy, and I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you are. <laughs> you're letting yeah, it out. Yeah. But like, okay, if you're with somebody who's maybe not super into therapy, sure. then <laughs> at the very least, like if you get them in there, then like you're paying for that hour. And it, it does really sort of help you to focus. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. My therapist, I was talking about relationship stuff mm-hmm. so much that she was like, why don't you break him sometime? And I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. And so he doesn't live in this state, but when he yeah. was here, we went for the first time, like last week, this is the first time I'm telling us on the podcast. Oh my gosh. And it felt like a really big step. Cause it's like, well, you're not going to come to therapy with me unless we're like, <gasps> you know, like this is, Commitment. you don't do that on like a third date, you know, Uh-oh. that would be weird. But we've been together for like over two years. And so yeah. it was just like, we. my therapist is in Williamsburg. So we walked uh-huh. the bridge there, which was like, that was therapy in itself. And then we like got crepes after, which, and it was just like this day of like so much awareness and like d- a deep dive in relationship school, which mm. was like really, like you said, when you're in that hour, you're just like focused on the thing. Yeah. You're giving the time to it. Like you would with you are, yeah. a work meeting or something. That's so great. Congrats, by the Thank way. You. How do you, how did you both feel afterwards? So good. Yeah? Yeah. So good. Emotional. Like I cried, mm-hmm. but good. Just like awareness and like, oh, okay. Now, uh, I felt like we understood each other better, which is the goal, I guess. Oh, that's, that's the dream. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. 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 It was great. So yeah, I mean, I think that's probably kind of, I mean, everybody has their own individual stuff they have to deal with, but I think that like learning how to talk to each other and then making the effort to communicate with each other Mm -hmm. more and more so as the years go by is really, is really what it's about. Yeah. And I think acknowledging like you did, like we just did, that it does feel like effort sometimes and that's okay, but you still have to put it in and in the end, it's like an investment. It is. Yeah, it is. It is an investment. Absolutely. Because- you know, especially if you're living with somebody, I think probably, you know, you guys living separately makes you put in effort that other people just don't have to and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's, it's very easy to get complacent, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's um, wrap with some fun quick fire questions. Great. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Sushi from my favorite sushi place. Mm. So boring. That's not boring. Everybody loves sushi. Well, I love sushi. It's <laughs> like, it's like my go-to comfort food. And what kind like of that. sushi are we ordering? Okay, so I always get like one tuna avocado roll because mm. I like that and because it's like, I, you know what it is about sushi? It's like I'm never going to get a tummy ache from it and stuff. It's like very gentle protein. Yeah, I like some foods that I just, I know how they make me feel. Yes. Like that always goes well. <laughs> that is what a comfort food really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. So I get one of those and then I get usually like two of their like, like a fermented shiitake and avocado Ooh, roll. Yeah, They call it a yasai roll at my sushi place. Where's your sushi place? Unseamless. I'm not exactly okay. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't, no other place does it quite like that. Mm, I, I that am so at good. one point going to go there and be like, what did you do to the mushroom? <laughs> yeah. But like, really, I would just love to eat just like nothing but those, but I know I need some more protein. Yeah. So that's where the tuna is in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds delicious. What are you most excited about in your life right now? Oh my gosh. I'm excited to find out how my book is doing. You know, what's funny about having a book come out is like, you have this idea that you'll know exactly like how many copies are sold and like what's happening with it. And it's like, no, no, you don't find that out until like, you, you like in a week and a half, I, maybe I'll get a sense. 
I I know it's doing great. I just I'm I'm not a psychic or anything, but I just I know it's doing great because you made such a great thing, and you had busy Phillips. You oh my god, can we talk about that? Yeah, she's so cool and loves friends. I, that what came- was it like meeting her? Okay, that was crazy. This crazy thing happened. Yeah, I guess it was like a month and a half ago now. Yeah. I woke up one morning and I had like a thousand DMs <gasps> from people that were like, oh, "Did yeah, you yeah, see yeah, this?" And it was because she had gotten, you know, some my publisher, I guess, had sent her an early copy of the book. It wasn't even a galley. It was like a printed bound manuscript wow. because the, t- the production timeline for my book was so crazy. And they sent it to her. I did not know that. And it turns out she actually read it and she actually loved it. And oh. she was just like spontaneously doing an Instagram story about it. And it was like, th- it was huge. It was like, cool. it was I so love her cool. so much. I mean, it was great. It was so It was wonderful. I'm so excited about her show and her book and everything she's doing. I think she's like so authentic. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was really surprising to me. So then, yeah, like about a month later, I wrote the introduction for her on a podcast that she was doing. Yeah, I was going to say, do you work on the Refinery29 podcast? I have been this season, the the third season of Unstyled. I wrote the guest introductions, which was um, like really fun. Talk about having, stretching your writer muscles. So I wrote that and like I knew she was going to be a guest and I asked Christine, the editor-in-chief of Refinery, who also hosts the podcast, if I could come by and say hi. And she was like, yeah, sure. And then I just walked into the studio and the the best part was that like Busy Phillips in real life was really just like Busy Phillips on Instagram. Amazing. And I felt I had that feeling of like, you know, sometimes when you're around like a certain kind of famous person or somebody who's really busy, very obviously in the middle of a million things, you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to be polite. I'm just going to like, I should go. I should get out of your hair Uh and stuff. But she just kept talking to me. And I just, I was just like, well, I guess I'm not leaving. Oh, that's so, so great. So it was, it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. Good. I would have been so disappointed if you were like, I'll tell you later, but. Like, no, she, I know. mean, her publicist was there, but like, oh, she just like, great. her publicist was not like a, like, it was great. Mm. It was, it was very wonderful. It was wonderful. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Cause as soon as you were working on this project, I was like, I hope that Busy Phillips gets this. I had that thought because I know that she would, t- I watch her stories and yeah. she talks about friends all the time that it's her cozy thing she does before bed. And she even talks about it a lot when she's been interviewed talking about her new TV show, how Mm -hmm. she wants it to feel like watching an episode of friends before bed. Yeah. That cozy feeling, which. What a good, what a good like ethos for a show to try to adopt. I know. I know. I'm really excited to see how it turns out. Me too. Me too. Okay. So you, like you, we've been saying, are a freelancer. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have on freelancing, structuring your days, handling the inconsistency of it? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think the key is you can make your own structure, so you should. For some people, it might be like going along with the rest of the world. For me, I like to feel a little bit in sync with the world, I've realized. And that means, you know, if I can take a weekend off, then I take a weekend off because that's when most of my friends are off. And and that feels good. It feels funny, like, when you're, you know, everybody else is, like, celebrating a national holiday and you're like, what? You know, you're totally, mm-hmm. yeah, it's weird. So make that. Make whatever works for you and, and just, like, put it in place and implement it and know that you can. You know what I mean? It's not impossible. It's It's tough, though. And, ooh, mm, I don't know how you feel about this. I've probably talked to you about this already before. But, like, freelancing and working from home in general can obviously be very isolating. Mm-hmm. And I did not anticipate just how much I missed the presence of coworkers. I knew there would be challenges, but I did not think that would be one of them. And sometimes it was that I missed the people. But I have to say, a lot of the time, it was just that I missed that passive, easy social interaction. Mm-hmm. The fact that, like, I don't know. When, like, the royal baby gets announced, there's somebody you can turn to and be like, 
Welp, that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. Or like when something terrible in the world is happening. Like I was working from home starting in like the spring of 2016. So like when all everything happened with like the election and everything that happened afterwards, I just felt like I didn't have any anybody Water there to process. Talk. Yeah, I didn't have any like social buffer really. And I felt like it was just constantly flooding and coming right at me. And I didn't have any way, I didn't have anybody to sit and like have even a moment to process it with. And yeah. I know that that sounds really vague and mushy, but like that was, that was really hard and it took a lot of adjustment and a lot of like me filling in the gaps for myself, you know, in terms of like planning people into my day Mm -hmm. and into my week and knowing how much I needed in order to feel okay and do good work. So I would say that's the other thing is like really know, know that it's going to be a transition in that regard and expect that. And you might feel really sad and lonely for a while. But pay attention and, like, figure out what it is your needs are and, like, meet your social needs as much as you meet your professional needs. Mm, Yeah. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about people being meant to live in tribes and having that collective need to, you know, some of us more than others, introvert, extrovert, all sorts of things. But we are meant to have that, those familiar strangers, you know, I Mm -hmm. find if I, like, the only reason why I like go to an exercise class is to like have the familiar uh, strangers huh? or like the same coffee shop over and over again. Yes. Those certain markers of like feeling like a person. And I kind of honestly get a hit of it. It's not the same, but from listening to certain podcasts yep. over and over again, where I just hear people talking about stuff that's not like, I don't, I can't listen to any podcasts that are like mine, mm-hmm. but I listen to, you know, just like hearing Terry Gross every day, you know, consistently just like makes me feel like I'm alive in the world. And like, even the commercials on that, you know, like it just kind of like you're saying, it's, it connects you with the world hearing those things. hundred percent. And I didn't even, I forgot to say this before, but that's, that's actually the first thing I do in the morning is turn on WNYC, Mm -hmm. you know, listen to that morning edition and like what's happening in the world. And like, oh man, it just anchors me in my day. Yeah. And that's really important. Yeah. But yeah, no, podcasts definitely fulfill that need. Although I started to realize like I'm getting a little rusty at being with real people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's like social media. It's like, yeah. it's good, but it's not, it's not ideal. It, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's actually, I think it's great. I mean, I love podcasts and stuff. I just have to realize that like, it feels like, like friendship, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I have that too, you know, with people who yeah. who listen to the podcast and they oh my they bet. instantly know everything about me, which is great. I've been doing I grew up, you know, I spent all of my 20s. I started this 6 years ago. So, wow. it's really cool, but also I'm just like I need to know about you too because yeah. we probably yeah. have a lot in common if yeah. you stayed this long. And I just want it to be reciprocal, but it's a it's an interesting feeling cuz I know exactly how they feel about me because I've feel that way about so many other podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I get that a lot too from people who've read the column, who've yeah. read the book or something like that. They'll be like, how's Harry? People like, yeah. And I'm like, that's so nice of you to ask. They'll be like, how's John? Is he doing okay? Is he better? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, thank you for asking. But it's, it is a funny feeling when somebody knows everything about you. I mean, I love, I love talking to people, but like, that's, that's also, sorry, this is a roundabout way of saying like, I've experienced that just from like being somebody who writes, who writes about themselves. And I think, you, somebody who like are in, you know, you're in people's ears and you're talking to them and you're having that immediacy and that intimacy and it must be so much more intense. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think it, when you write a whole memoir, I haven't done that. Like that is a, you spend a lot of time 
with that person and that yeah. content. And I suppose maybe people yeah. listen to the audiobook. I think people talk, I get a lot of messages from people who listen to the audiobook, which I love. Yeah. Especially because that was, that was really hard to do. I was really, I'm glad I did it, but that was hard. Yeah. I, I love, I love that book so, so much. There, there are quotes I still, I wrote on post-it notes from your first book that were just like so helpful to me. Yeah. I'll send you when I get I home. love that. Yeah. No, I, lo- I loved your book so much. Okay. We started to talk about this a little bit. Social media. How do you mm. handle your relationship with your phone, social media, being a public person, mm. technology in general, any sort of thoughts, advice, feedback? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely hard. I can, I, I, right now, I think I'm struggling a little bit with my, who I am offline versus online, especially because I, again, I don't have that sort of like constant social interaction of working with colleagues and stuff like that. So I think it, it's, it really, the most important thing is being aware of when you're modifying yourself. And I think probably the most important thing for me to remember is to just like yeah, do social media because it's helpful for me and because it's fun and because whatever. And I don't feel like I'm like emotionally dependent on it. Just don't overthink it. That's like my constant mantra is just to remind myself not to overthink it. Like if I'm sitting there sweating over a caption for an hour and it's not, and it's like a one or two sentence thing, you know what? No, that's not acceptable to me. And even if it means that it's not going to come out perfectly and people aren't going to like it as much, I will like myself more if I just post the damn thing. Mm. I really will. That's so true. And what I needed to hear, because I'd been like, I've been in plan and plea. Like I've been thinking about like the color scheme. I've been doing all these oh things. Oh my God. And then I had this moment where I, I, in journalism school, I remember having this one speaker come in and he was like, well, you know, he worked for a newspaper and he was like, you know, the best thing about a newspaper is that you put out some good ones, you put out some bad ones, but we got to do it every single day. So you just got to turn them out. And so I started Ooh. to think of it like that of like, Put something out. That's know? a really good like thing to write on a post. That that's a really good post-it thing to. I want to write that down probably before I forget. Yeah, like have that newspaper mentality. And he's like, every few times you're going to get a good one, but you have to just keep turning them out. Like totally work, do the work. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, yeah. It's helpful with anything, but yeah, that yeah. is a good. That is a good thing. Yeah, I might ask you to like email that to me after yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done. Okay, how do you handle stress, coping mechanisms, self-care routines? What what are we working with? You know, I think a lot of us, our instinct when we're stressed out or, um, or anxious is to escape, like, you know, watching a sitcom or something like that. But, and that can, that, you know, that definitely has its place, especially when you're wrung out and like you don't have much more to give and you can't like talk, you don't, you just you can't talk anymore. But I think ultimately that like a, that escaping thing tends to backfire. And really trying to do the opposite and ground yourself in some way or another or get real close with that feeling. Sometimes I'll like, I'll be overwhelmed with a feeling and I'll just be like, hmm, I am angry right now. Isn't that interesting? I'll just say it out loud, like to mm. myself. And even doing that, acknowledging it, verbalizing it, getting close to whatever it is you're feeling, it takes a little bit of the sting out of it. It takes the fear out of it. It just... It does. So I think, um, uh, you know, taking the headphones out when what you really want to do is put them in. Ooh, that's a good line for a post-it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something I have to remind myself of a lot. And I sometimes I'll just, I think I even wrote about this in Big Girl, so clearly I'm still doing this a little bit. But like, okay, you're going to walk to the subway with your headphones out. You can put them in then, but like, you're going to have a little bit of a mindful moment here. I remember that. Yeah. Fucking mindfulness. It's the worst, but it's yeah. the best thing ever. It It's like, that's how we grow and change. 
and process is by feeling our feelings, but it doesn't make it any less annoying. Oh my yeah. God. It's so yeah, no, it doesn't. It's never, and that's the other thing. I think it's just, a, you know, embracing the fact that like, okay, so I'm, this is always going to be annoying forever for the rest of my life. Okay, fine. Great. As long as I'm not working towards the, the place of like, one day I will feel fine all the yeah. time. And I think being, and I, I think we, we, we have like some similar temperaments of like totally. someone who's in my head more than, and disasso- can disassociate uh-huh. from my body. Feeling my feelings is the last thing I want to do. Yep. I want to turn to friends or turn to food or turn to work or turn to whatever coping mechanism. Get rid of it. Just escape it. Get rid of it. Or like, yeah. I, I do you do the thing where you're just like, why am I feeling this way? What is wrong with me that I am feeling this as opposed to just… Totally. Right? Totally. And it ju- and to even sometimes I don't even know how to feel because feeling wasn't modeled for me. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of stuffing. Mm-hmm. And so that's a question I've been, you know pondering on this podcast and asking everyone on this podcast for years because I'm learning how to feel. Like when a feeling comes over me, sometimes I don't, and so, you know, if you're on the subway, you have to just pocket it and put it off for later. But like when I can feel it to actually let myself go there is, that's why all my stuff is called let it out. Literally yeah. is about some, it's what I struggle with the most. I've tried to do that. I mean, I really have tried to learn from you in particular when it comes to the journaling thing and morning pages and all of that. And I haven't been able to make that habit just yet, but I have the idea that it would be really, really, really good for me if I could. <laughs> yeah, it, it is helpful. And it's something that like, I say this in, in my book, like there's a SOS journaler and a maintenance yes. journaler, yeah. which like, I'm definitely an SOS journaler. Like yeah. I'm not someone who does it consistently. Like I'm sure it is very helpful and I've gone through phases, but sometimes it's just like, and when I'm like, oh man, I'm struck with something. What is even happening? I mm-hmm. need to process it that journaling is obviously like my biggest tool for feeling feelings. Mm-hmm. And then also therapy, also yeah. like having conversations like this that will like trigger me to be like, oh, that is something that I want to think about more. And yeah. then earmarking it for later. Yes. Having an authentic um, like interaction with another person, I think is really grounding and really, at least for me, very good anti-anxiety stuff. Yeah. Even though social stuff in general can be really, really hard, having like an authentic yeah, interaction mm-hmm. where you feel like, okay, we're both being ourselves. Yeah, we're both being seen and seeing each other. And like, I felt like even this whole conversation, like we got to like go very deep and like tell you things that I've been wanting to tell you. And we were like being present with each other and talk about all sorts of things. And well, you've really created a space in your podcast for like where that's very allowed. So I feel I, I felt comfortable letting go a little bit, I think, when I'm when you. here talking. Thank you. Okay, a couple quick friends questions and then we'll, Let's do it. we'll wrap this up with okay. a bow. Do you have a favorite episode or one that you've seen the most? Yeah, it's the best episode. It's the one where everybody finds out. Oh, that one is so good. Yeah. I do love the blackout episode, though. Oh, yeah. You I know really what? enjoy that one. I think, unfortunately, that one just got ruined for me because it was when I was watching it at the gym. It was one of those ones where oh. they aired it constantly. Did really? you know in syndication they can just air, which they don't have to go and order oh, anything? really weird. They can just air whatever. That's such a bummer. So, like, the most popular ones are if, like, it's, like, around the holidays, uh, they can, like, air those. I assumed when I read that part of your book that every day at 5.30 you were, why you wanted to get there was to, like, see what happened. Well, I know, because usually it does go in order, but every once in a while it'll be like, what? The one where Emma turns one again? Oh, what a bummer. Yeah, that's that that familiar annoyance. Oh, have the cast and any of the creators seen the book? And I don't know. Not yet. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, that's exciting. That's something. That's some, another thing I kept thinking of. What about a favorite friend or one you identify with most? 
It's two different questions, actually. So I, or answers. I've lately, I mean, I think this is a very sort of popular attitude right now, but like I'm a big Phoebe fan, especially when like Phoebe is like angry and has like had it with the other ones. Like I really love the episode where she's super, super pregnant with the triplets and she just like is constantly losing it at Monica and Rachel and stuff. And she's just like, you guys don't, I mean, she really just calls them out for like having not real problems. You know what I mean? And she's just like, I cannot with you bitches right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's so authentic. She is so herself. Yeah. Yeah. She's so authentic. And she's just like, I can't, can't." you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. that feeling, that eye rolling feeling that so many of us have watching the show. She's just like, catharsing for us. Yes. And so often she's clearly supposed to be the goofy one and the Looney Tune and stuff, but she's like the voice of reason, mm-hmm. you know, in most cases. Yeah. So I love that. However, in terms of the ones that I identify with, I've recently come to realize that I'm a Chandler. I love that. I'm a Chandler. I just am. I mean, it wasn't until like somebody pointed out, like I've always had this thing where I can't cry at the movies. I'm really trying. Me now. too. Same. Really? Same. All my stuff is called Let It Out because- you can't cry. You know, I can't. I can, I, I can only cry at like totally inappropriate times. Yeah, I cry when I'm scared and yep. when I'm anxious. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I cry when I'm angry. I cry when I'm angry. That's the worst. Uh, it's very ineffective. Anger, anger. Well, especially if you're in an argument with somebody. I yeah, do that. It doesn't too, help actually. your Maybe case I am ever. An angry yeah. Oh, it's terrible. But like, I can't. I've, you know, I've cried at. I think three movies and two of them I was pretty much faking. And that's literally like an episode arc for Chandler in like season seven, I think, or something like that. And I mentioned that to my friend who had just read the book, my friend Kelsey Osgood, actually. And she was like, are you Chan- Are you a Chandler? And I was like, oh my God, I am. That's so funny. I finally know which friend I am. That's so funny. I want to guess the movies that you cried in or fake cried. Was it called me by your name? Is that one of them? No, one of them was like Titanic. And that was like, I was 14 and I saw with my friends and all of them were crying. And I, you know, I kind of like got myself into it a little bit, kind (laughs) of psyched myself. Yeah, exactly. And then the second one was Marley and Me. And that that was like, I'm never going to watch that movie is like, I'll watch the first half of it again at the gym anytime for sure. But like, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, that dog dies for like an hour. That dog is dying for like a straight hour and it's, it's torture. Yeah. And that's my friend who was in hysterics. Like the moment that Marley can't get up the stairs, she just lost it. And then the whole theater was sobbing and I did start to get choked up. And then I was just like, if I make the motions, then I, you know what I mean? Like I did make the motions until I was pretty much crying, but I was feeling the crying on the inside. And then the one where I like legitimately like had tears coming out of my eyes and I was very proud of myself, but also losing it was um, watching uh, Coco. (laughs) (laughs) Pixar is so intense. (laughs) That, that makes sense. They, they know what they're doing over there. I was thinking about this when, when I said acting, that you were just such the perfect person to write this book because of your theater background, oh. because of your knowledge of friends, oh, that's because good. of your, like, it just all Glad weaved you feel together. That way. So, yeah, it, it was, it was so Wait, so, so which perfect. friend are you, can I ask? Do you have, do you know? Do you have a feeling? Oh, man, I mean, it's, it's a cliche to say a mix of all of them. I love, yeah, well, I, I mean, we all are, I guess. Yeah. Oh, wait, I, I will tell you, but there's one thing. In the introduction of your book, when you make that joke about it's such a Chandler joke about how on in the new year you were saying to your friends, like, oh, it turns out I'm uh, emotionally dependent on a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. felt like such a Chandler joke. So yeah. when, when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, there's that's another sweet. line. I mean, talk about like emotional avoidance. We've just yep. spent like half an hour talking about it. That's kind that's very of his Chandler. Yeah. characteristic. 
<laughs> totally, totally. So I don't know. I, I in that way, Chandler, mm. I mean, I just, I feel like I picked up subconsciously mannerisms that are very Rachel Green, like, because I just wanted to be her. And I, I had this moment actually, and I don't know if this was because I was reading your book, probably had a lot to do with it. But this week I was coming home to my apartment. I had just been shopping. Mm-hmm. So I had like a bunch of bags. And I remember this scene so clearly of... I, you can probably tell me this episode that that scene where one of them goes shopping and then Chandler and Joey guess everything that yeah, they bought. That's in the one with the embryos, which is, I believe, the second best episode mm. of Friends, the one with the, the contest. Yes. Yeah. I love I love that episode. And there, there's just a plethora of episodes with mm-hmm. Rachel Green coming in with bags, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just had this moment of like, like this, I'm doing it. I live in New York and like I get Aww. to wear like 90s clothes and I I like can buy whatever you I do. want. And you have like, like the perfect, you have those, the sweaters, like the perfect length. You know what's great actually? I think in that episode, she has, I think her bags are from Citarella of mm. all places. Or oh yeah. One of those, it's either Citarella or that other fancy grocery store right next to Citarella. So you could actually do it. I, I I love a good fancy grocery store. I will say they look the same. Those bags, I yeah, that yeah. was actually good. You know, they they did a good job with the New York you know prop there. Yeah. Weirdly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hang out in coffee shops a lot, so yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, they're right. they're all in there, and a, definitely some Phoebe with all the woo woo witchy yeah. stuff. And I got and I'm I am a neat freak, so you know, mm. it's all they're all. It sounds like there. you've got kind of the best of the bunch. I I don't know about that, but. They're all they're all in there. Okay, so this is really a, a question to recommend things. So you're trapped on a deserted island. You can bring with you one book, one movie, one TV show, one podcast. So really, these can be all time favorites, or they can just be things you want to recommend. You've done the show before, so these can just be things that you are have been listening to mm. or content you've been liking. Now, um, there was a book I read. I think it was a little over a year ago now that I still can't get out of my head, which was Homegoing. Mm. up there somewhere. That was a really spectacular novel, Homegoing. What was the other one? What was the next one? I got distracted looking at your board oh. game up there. Is that Secret Diary? That's Girl Talk Secret Diary. Oh my gosh, from that the 90s. so fun. I got to buy that when I worked at Refinery and like expense it because they were <gasps> like, yeah, you can write a story on that. Yes, expense it. Oh my God. I think I want to come <laughs> over and play that next. It's, I mean, talk about dated. There's like some real messed up oh, stuff Oh God. <laughs> I got to yeah. read your article on it. Okay. Anyway, so, okay, go on. What was the next yeah, thing you were saying? Yeah, what was the next saying? one? Was, Mo- movie, music? I'm gonna, okay, movie. Um, You can do a couple. A couple movies. Well, I haven't seen A Star is Born yet, so me I feel either. like I should put that, I should bring that with me if yeah. I haven't seen it yet. True. Hearing great things. Yeah, hearing hearing a whole lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. Thank you for letting me off the hook about like not choosing the the yeah. best of everything because I'm such a perfectionist. I would never be able to answer and that. And I think I made you do that last time. So <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure. I wonder what my answers were. I remember you saying a tree grows in Brooklyn was your favorite. That was book. yeah, for sure. That's like one of those life changing books that I first mm-hmm. read when I was like nine, and then like every year for about six years after that. Yeah. And I think actually that's still a good answer, a tree grows in Brooklyn, because. It's so long and there's so many life stories in it. You get to go into the like deep into the personal lives of so many different characters over the span of like, I don't know, 40 years. Mm-hmm. It's really something. Yeah. Oh, wait, but I already said homegoing. Never mind. Yeah. We got a <laughs> music. I feel like it's gonna be some Sondheim cast recording. It's gonna be one of those. I'm not love sure which. Yeah, no, I totally love a good show tune. And Sondheim is like very, you know complex and nourishing in addition to just like, yeah, yeah, catchy and stuff like that. Um, Maybe Into the Woods. Maybe that's a good one. It's a little bit, a little bit intense. And 
podcast. Ooh, I think right now I'm going to go, I want to go with like one of my history podcasts or no, mm. I'm going to go, I'm, it's fall and I'm getting back into like Halloween-y stuff and I've been like catching up on lore. Mm. I love folklore and, and weird history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a lot of history podcasts. I'm a big, big fan of, of weird history stories. And that's a really fun one because, I mean, I'm not the first one to say this is a good show. I think it's pretty well known as a good show. But, like, it dives into, like, uh, folklore, but also mm-hmm. the history behind it, the real the real stories, yeah. like how we got so many of our fairy tales and myths and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's been on my list. I just haven't gotten into it yet. Yeah. It's a good time of year to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds, sounds like a good cozy fall show. Yeah. TV show, would you say The Americans? Ooh, mm, yeah, The Americans is really, really good. Me, the Americans is really great, but there's a whole lot of good TV out there right now mm-hmm. in case you haven't heard. You know what I really actually recently watched over the summer was a mm-hmm. miniseries, so maybe it doesn't count, but Patrick Melrose, mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch. It's an adaptation of, can't remember the author's name, five books about the same character. Oh, um, okay. And it was... Like just, it was shattering, but I don't want that to drive anybody away because it was also like compulsively watchable. Mm. And I watched it with my husband and like, we rarely, I mean, we watch things together, but like rarely do we have like the same sort of emotional connection to the, to the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, this was the kind of, this was the thing where at the end, it like, it it made us like talk to each other in a way Mm, that we hadn't before. When that happens. It really legitimately brought us closer in a way. Cool. Oh, maybe my boyfriend and I should watch that. It's really wonderful. Yeah. It's intense, but it's really wonderful. And it's really beautiful. It has this like Wes Anderson by American Psycho aesthetic. Oh, amazing. Yeah. What's it called again? It is called um, Patrick Melrose. Patrick Melrose. Okay, cool. Yeah. I haven't heard of it. I think it's on Amazon now too if you don't have Showtime on demand or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did you watch Maniac? Yeah, I did. I I really liked that kind of. We had that was something that Nick and I both really loved this at the same level and like yeah. talked about in a in in an interesting way. Oh yeah, we did. We did too. We both really yeah. liked that. It was funny. I I saw such mixed reviews for that. I was like, oh, I thought it was so obviously great. Yeah, I I I agree. But I think I, the more I've been talking to people, expecting everyone to have that reaction. They've been like, oh, yeah, but those first two episodes, I, it's hard for me to get into. Huh. And I see what they're saying because the first two were really, oh, you're listening to the Maniac podcast. Mm-hmm, that's fine. But they were like the first episode tells Jonah Hill's story and the second one is an intro to yeah. her world. And yeah. then they get into the Maniac world. So I can see like we did watch the first three like in succession. So I can see maybe if people didn't do that, like it it's one of those shows it takes you a minute to get into. That's true. I think it, yeah, it's true. I think you have to get into the third one. And it's hard. That's really hard to sell people on these days because it's like, why? There are like 500 totally. other incredibly really good yeah. shows out there right now. That I can get into right away. And I'm like, no, I can't argue with you there. That's absolutely sure. But like, just give it a shot. I swear yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Did you watch Forever? Yes. We watched that. And like, oh my God. Okay. I, I have to say that bottle episode, I think it was the sixth one. Yeah. That destroyed me in a in the best possible yeah. way. Oh my god, that was so good. I know, I really loved that, but I I was surprised that it didn't. Other than, well, we don't want to give it away, but yeah. other than her standing there at the end, like there, it was yeah. no no. I thought it was going to come back with something no, in yeah. the episode. That was Harry's was, big problem with it. I was like, I don't care at this point. I'm like yeah. an emotional wreck. I really loved it, but yeah. I just I was expecting it to come up again. And I know it never did. It didn't. It didn't. And I don't think that the rest of the series lived up to that episode at all, but I still, it still definitely like haunted me yeah. a little bit. I had like yeah. funny dreams after Same. we finished it. Yeah. We had a lot of weird dreams while I was watching it. We also watched it 
at night. But I know I love that you guys like have your little shows that you watch together yeah. and like can talk about. That. I love that. That's yeah, such we'll a great do like one, two, three play. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Okay, well, the name of this podcast now is Let It Out. That's right. So since you've been on, we end in this new way of letting out a deep breath together. Oh, okay, which is, cool. Feels very nice, well, and everyone do listening does it together as they're walking around around the subway. Okay. Oh, I love that. What a great thing. Yeah, it, it always feels good after. Well, you'll see. Okay. Okay. Inhale. <sighs> it always feels really good. It always does. Yeah. I got the idea because I was getting a massage and the guy was like, inhale and let it out. And I was like, oh, that's the name of my podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so, yeah. It's true. Like when in doubt, like it, it's not going to hurt. No, never. Uh, no one ever says, I wish I hadn't taken a deep breath. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're in like a really specific environment, which you're probably not. Right yeah. Now. Hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully not. Yeah. You don't even need to pull over to participate in nope. this if you're driving. Nope. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy that I got to connect with you and I'm so proud of you and the book and I hope everybody reads it. This was a joy. Thank you so much. Well, if that doesn't make you want to go curl up on the couch and binge watch Friends, I don't know what will. Kelsey's a delight. I loved recording that conversation. I am so happy that I met her and that she wrote this book and her last book was very influential for me. Anyway, I hope you like this episode as much as I do. Let's get into the likes and learns segment, but first a couple announcements for you. Number one, if you're in New York City on December 2nd, I will be doing a workshop at The Spring. It's a meditation studio in Soho that my friends own, and I love it there. And we're going to do some meditating, some journaling. It'll be a great way to go into the holidays and kind of just, I don't know, get clear on where we are and where we want to go and where we want to grow. And my friend who has an Instagram called Feed Your Sister is making us delicious, vegan, delicious tasting, most importantly, treats. That's why I'm going, honestly. So I would love to see you there. Okay, that's that. And then please come to Kripalu. I am going to be there for New Year's Eve, and it would be so cool if you were there with me. I'm teaching a workshop about remixing your resolutions. We're going to hit the ground running for 2019. I'm really ready for 2018 to be over It was a really weird year for me, and I'm really optimistic and excited about 2019, and it's just going to be this lovely sleepover in this retreat center that means so much to me. I actually wrote the essay that I talk about in this episode with Kelsey for Refinery29. I mentioned going to a retreat, and it's Kerpala that I'm talking about. I don't actually say it, but it's kind of full circle that I'm actually teaching there over New Year's and I would love for you guys to come. All right, into likes and learns. I have a lot and I'm just going to, I'm going to try to keep this short, but I'm going to put as much out there as I can because we're not going to talk to each other for a couple weeks. So number one, the first thing that I've been liking this week is Kelsey's book and I don't really need to get into that because you saw that but it just made me so happy and then I started reading Busy Phillips new book to replace that and that is also a delight and then someone who will be one of the very first guests in the new season her name's Marley Grace 
get obsessed with her. If you're not already, you probably are. But I mentioned her zine many weeks ago. It's called How a Photo and Video Sharing Platform Gave Me My Career, Introduced Me to Some of My Best Friends, and Made Me Want to (laughs) Die. That zine alone is wonderful. And then she just recently came out with a book called How to Not Always Be Working, which is equally as wonderful. And she'll be coming on the podcast soon. So that's one thing I've been liking this week. And then... I just made an infusion earlier today with all of these herbs from Flower Power, and I've been liking doing that. So I'll just tell you the things I put in this one. Nettle, horsetail, oat straw, red clover, lemon balm. Those are just a few things. And then last but not least, I have this friend who's such a magical friend to me. Her name's Simi, and I'll link to her episode on my podcast, but she was so there for me this week, as well as my friend Katie, who's done my podcast, who's like my oldest friend, my roommate from college, who did my podcast a couple Christmas times ago, and I'll I'll link that. We should do an updated one with both of them, but I'm just, it feels fitting that I'm liking my friends this week after a week that we talked about friendship in the episode. And I'll link to Kayleen Schaefer's episode because I mentioned it in this, but if you haven't listened to that, she wrote a wonderful book this year that came out this year called Text Me When You Get Home about female friendship that I also loved and I loved having her on the podcast this year. One of the good things from 2018. Okay, things I learned this week. Well, I'll just tell you this. My therapist told me that growth isn't linear and isn't pretty. And that was really a watershed moment for me because I think it's so easy to think that we're reverting or that we're not growing, but in reality, it just might not look how we think that it's looking, but we are moving forward. It's just not linear. So that was one thing. And then I also thought of something else that might be helpful and brace yourself. This is pretty gross. It's a poop analogy. So if you're not into that, 30 second forward. But I've talked a lot in this podcast about my inability to feel my feelings like we were talking about with Kelsey and how it's very Chandler-esque of just making a joke or stuffing it down or turning to my phone or turning to work or turning to food or controlling food or whatever. Anyway, I think of feeling feelings like having to poop. And this week I was like walking down the street in New York and I got the gentle knock of needing to poop. And I was like, oh, this is so inconvenient. And you know, it's so bad for your body to hold it in, obviously. But sometimes you have to, if you're like on the subway or you're driving, you can't go right then. But eventually you're going to have to go or it's going to get stuck in your body somewhere. It's going to become worse. And I think it's the same with your feelings. This week I was feeling something so deeply that I was forced to just feel it. I was forced to just like be there and cry and like feel all the things where usually I step it down. This week I was like a raw nerve. So anyway, the point is, well, there really isn't a point. I just think that analogy helped me of when I needed to poop and I couldn't was similar to like when I need to feel something and I can't, or I just don't want to, or I don't have time to because I'm about to go into a meeting or I'm, you know, not in a place where I can emote, but eventually you have to feel your feelings. That's something I learned this week. I hope that was helpful for you. I hope you're enjoying this LNL segment. Let me know. The emoji for this episode is the couch. Is there a couch? I hope there's a couch. 
I'm gonna look right now. I think if there's not a couch, just do the big mug, like the big, I guess it's just the only mug they have, but it kind of seems Central Perk-esque and I think it'll do the trick for this week. Thanks again for listening. If you like this podcast, send it to a friend, send it to a family member and share it. Also, if you could subscribe on iTunes, that would be great. It helps more than anything. And then if you've been listening for a while and you haven't already left a review, leave a review. That would be very helpful as well. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. And hopefully I will see you at Kripalu or on December 2nd. And in a couple weeks. Have a great Thanksgiving. I'm grateful for you. And if you're traveling, just, you know, be yourself and enjoy the feast and just be really nice to yourself. Okay. Love you. Bye. One more quick thing, you guys. I made a online course about journaling with this NBC Universal affiliate called Blueprint. And I would love for you to check it out. The link is also in the show notes. I'm so proud of it. I got to go to Denver and shoot this show a couple months ago. Maybe you guys saw in my Instagram stories, but I'll tell you more about that next time we chat, but it's coming out this week. So it'd be so cool if you guys check that out. The link is in the show notes and I think you'd really like it. Okay. Bye for real.